Well, welcome to Grace. We're glad you're here. And no, I don't drink pumpkin spice lattes. So I just want to let you know we had a great time, Beast Feast, last night. We had, I think, around 450 men here, a bunch of men from our community. We're actually praying that over 100 of those men will be back with us third hour today, uh, men who normally don't go to church or, or don't go to a Bible-believing church, and, and we'll see how that goes. Yeah, I, I actually don't even like coffee, and uh, yeah, I remember um, just earlier this year, I was out with some church leaders out at a meeting, and uh, there were a group of about 12 of us, I think, and we were out in Seattle, and while we are out there, we decided to go to the original Starbucks, and so we, we climb in a vehicle, and, and we get out to the, the Starbucks, and it's just packed. I mean, this original, it's not very big. It's downtown, and the line is stretched out to the street. It's dark outside, a little chilly, and we're standing around. I think this was in February. And, uh, and I'm realizing, you know, yeah, here I am. And, and I, I just, unlike everybody else I know, I'm just not much of a coffee drinker. And I just decide, well, I'll just order, you know, a simple black coffee, and I'll just kind of sip on that a little bit, and, you know, whatever. It's a little chilly. That might work. And so as we get in the line, the line gets closer and closer to where you order, and I'm, I mean, it's chaotic, and there are a bunch of people in line, a bunch of people waiting for their coffees after they've already ordered. And I look up at the menu. It's not even my time to order yet, and I realize I cannot interpret one thing on the menu. There's no simple black coffee. There's nothing. I'm just looking at this. I don't recognize anything on this board. And this board is huge, like the size of one of these screens. And I, and I, I know nothing. And so while I'm standing there with, with this group of men, I text my daughter Carissa, because Carissa, she's a Starbucks girl. And one time she gave me a drink of something that she was drinking from Starbucks, a coffee, and it was really good. So I text her. And then she, she tells me, well, here's what that was, Dad. And so I order, hang around, get my coffee. And I got to tell you, it is, it's like I'm saying, it's jammed in there. And we're waiting for everybody to get their coffee so we can leave. And it's standing room only. And, and you know, we're just kind of shoulder to shoulder. And I got to tell you, I'm, I'm slightly embarrassed. And I'm standing there. And I'm trying to keep to myself a little bit because it's so packed. The guys that are jammed up nearest to me from our group, they finally, they're talking to me a little bit, and then, and then it happened. One of them looked down at my coffee, and they said, what is that? <laughs> and it was a, turns out it was a Java chocolate mocha chip frappuccino grande, or whatever, you know. <laughs> and so here's this big cup with a dome top. Which, which is basically like a chocolate malt with a little coffee flavor, and then filled up with whipped cream. There, there could have been a cherry on top and a straw. And then one of the guys looks at me and he says, and they know, you know, I'm, they're, they're, most of them are from metro areas, and some of those guys are younger than I am, and, and they know I'm small town, and I like guns and hunting and pickups and, you know, all that stuff. And one guy looks at me and he says, every stereotype I ever had of you is right now shattered. And I got to tell you, um, no matter what your image is or what people may think about you, whether that's accurate or not accurate, Scripture actually tells us that we all need life change. And the problem with that is a lot of people view Christianity 
not as life-changing. As a matter of fact, in our country, in, in our culture, people view Christianity, it, it's almost like Christianity is, is something that you can pick and choose from. And so they go along with their grocery bag, and then they, they, they come to things, and, and they just kind of look things over, and they say, oh, love, Christian love. The Bible talks about love. I like that. I'll, I'll take some of that. And then they'll, they'll grab something else and go, oh, sexuality. Nah, no, nah, I, I don't think I, I need any teaching on sexuality. I think I'm good there. And they'll look again and they'll say, oh, oh, forgiveness. I need me some forgiveness. I'll, I'll, I'll pick that up. And then it'll be, oh, oh, teaching about money. No, I, I think I'm set there. And they just pick and choose and they walk away with their own brand of Christianity. Nowhere in the Bible... Does it say that we can pick, that Christianity is a religion that we can pick and choose our own beliefs? It's really all of Christianity or nothing. And actually, it's not even a set of beliefs. It's more than that. It's a set of beliefs, really, that's foundational. But mainly what Christianity is, is a life change from the inside out. And as a matter of fact, one time... In the life of Jesus, he explained that to a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a guy who was well-known in his community. And, and he's one of these guys that uh, he was set. He had it all together. Um, he was well-resourced. He uh, knew what he was talking about. had a strong sense of right and wrong. He was a super moral guy. He was well-respected in his community. Everybody liked him. And really, everybody thought, wow, I wish I could be like Nicodemus. And actually, Nicodemus' bag, it was full. I mean, he picked up all the biblical beliefs, and he went by them. I mean, he lived them out, because that, that was his main thrust in life. But even with all those beliefs, he was missing something. And that's what I want us to notice as we look at this, which I think will help us reevaluate Christianity, because Jesus talks to Nicodemus about the kingdom of God. I think a lot of times when you see this phrase in Scripture, kingdom of God, we tend to view that as a place, and a place like America or Great, the kingdom of Great Britain. Or, but, and, and if we were talking about a place... We might describe it as, you know, if we were describing a, the place of America to people, we might say, you know, it's a great country, it's got all kinds of freedom, it's a melting pot. It doesn't matter. However you might describe that, we would never describe a country as something that would come inside of us and change our life. But that's exactly the way Jesus describes the kingdom of God to Nicodemus. And he's challenging him and saying, hey, your bag is full, Nicodemus. You've done a really good job of not leaving anything on the table. You've got it all. But this, this changed life, real life, it's not in you. I'd like to pick it up with the story of Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And if you just... Just go through these first 
uh, seven verses here. Here's what it says. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He can't enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. And by the way, there are not two kinds of Christians, like the regular normal Christians and the born-again type Christians. I mean, and that's how people think, right? Every once in a while, I'll talk to somebody, and as they... uh, as they hear more about what I'm saying, they'll say, oh, whoa, 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 okay, I, I got you, I got you, Peg, now. You're one of those born-again Christians. And, and then, of course, I'm like, well, well yeah, there, there's only one kind, but y- y- yeah, yeah, I, I'm, I'm one of those. And the reason there's only one of those, there's only one kind of Christian, is because Jesus said, You cannot see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. It's Jesus that says this. What I want us to see um, as we work through this is, is really Jesus is offering us life, new life. And when we think about life, uh, you, you can think about, for example, you know, a plant I don't know how I made plant two syllables, but a plant is alive, right? A plant, a plant, I'm from the South. The plant, a plant's alive, but, uh, and, and, and nobody's questioning that, and a dog's alive. But a dog it interacts with its environment and, and lives at a higher level of life than a plant. It can interact with its environment, it seems to be a little more... Uh, Knowledge about, about what's going on, it can move freely. And, and so you got a plant level of life, and then you have a dog level of life, and then you have a human beings level of life. And as human beings, we live at a level of life that's higher than a plant or a dog. As a matter of fact, if a human being w- was ever, for whatever reason, having to live life at the level of a dog, that would be tragic. And the reason it would be tragic is because we know that human beings were intended to live at a much higher level because they were created in the image of God. They're self-aware. They can think about things. This is, I think, a key to what Jesus is trying to tell Nicodemus. He's saying, Nicodemus, you're alive as a human being. But not all of you is alive. You're not really experiencing this new life that I'm talking about. The way you were actually made 
to experience life. And so there's three quick questions that I want to answer through this text. And the first is this. How does Jesus' offer of a new life, how does that impact us? How does that interact with our lives? What Jesus said when he was talking to Nicodemus, who was a religious expert, is completely radical compared to all other religions, and even the religion that Nicodemus was used to, Judaism. I mean, Nicodemus, again, he's a squared away guy. He's confident. He knows the Bible. He, he knows it very well for the Bible they had in that day, the Old Testament. And everybody would say he was a good man. And Nicodemus, he's popular in the community. A lot of people know him. And so that's probably why he talks to Jesus at night, kind of to avoid the paparazzi and the press. And, and, and just by that, it, it, we see that Nicodemus wasn't 100% bought in to Jesus, but he seemed to be open to kind of find out what's going on. As a religious leader, maybe he's curious, and so he comes. And I know when you read through this text, it sounds like He's asking, you know, hey, we know you're a good teacher. You must be from God. And then Jesus says, hey, you must be born again. It sounds like a, a non sequitur. It sounds like Jesus is completely changing the subject. But he's really not. Because in Nicodemus's statement, there's an implied question that, hey, we know you're a teacher. What are you teaching? And Jesus' response is simply this. You think that I've come to teach you, but actually I've come to save you. You're viewing me as a teacher, an example, but actually I've come to be your savior. And so Jesus says to this moral, upstanding guy with all the cans in his bag, you you're missing something and you can't find it in the bag you must be born again you have to start at ground zero just like a prostitute or a thief that would be way on the other end of the social spectrum from Nicodemus you have to start at the bottom and by the way that's why the Christian message has always appealed to the people of the bottom of society the outcasts, the down and outers. It's that message. And when you think of this as one type of Christianity or being born again as one type of a denomination, Jesus is saying, you're wrong. A couple years ago, June 17, 2015, a man named Dylan Roof walked in to the Christian AME church, which was a historically black church in Charleston, South Carolina. He walked in, and they were in Bible study, and they actually welcomed him to join them, and he sat there inside the church for a while, and then he opened fire killing nine people, including the pastor. Only one person survived that. He left to say, you can tell everybody what happened here. 
And when that hit the national news, our entire country braced for Charleston to explode just like Ferguson, Missouri did 10 months earlier. I mean, everybody was waiting for that to happen. But instead, in two days, the nation watched as 20,000 people came together in Charleston, held hands, and sang together, saying, love is stronger than hate. And the reporters that were there on the scene were, were trying to figure this out because a completely different reaction. And they started digging in. What's going on here? What's different? Why, why isn't this town burning right now? And they started realizing that it started with the families of the victims. That as reporters were, were investigating, they found out that one by one, all these families came out and said, we forgive Dylan Roof. And then later, in court, when they faced him one by one, they stood up and said, we forgive you. And some of them said, may God have mercy on your soul. And see the difference in those two cities was the people of the Christian AME Church in Charleston. They were living life at a higher level than most human beings. And they were saying, hey, because God has forgiven me, I choose to forgive this guy of this horrific act who took somebody that I love. Because God has given me a new life. I can forgive and let this go. And they were saying that, hey, Jesus gave us this life and we didn't deserve it. And Dylan, you don't either. He brought a part of us alive that wasn't alive before. And Jesus calls that being born again. You see, Jesus is taking away your excuse and your self-defense mechanism that you use to tell yourself that you don't need to get radical about Christianity, that, that you can kind of believe some of this stuff and, and throw a few cans in your bag and you really don't need to be born again. You really don't need a radical life change. But Christianity, the way Jesus explained it, is not just an addition to our life, not just one more thing that we carry along with us in our religious bag. It's a brand new life. And no matter what you've accomplished, and no matter what you've done, and no matter how many good things you've done, maybe caring for your family, or being a good citizen, or taking care of other people, Jesus is saying, if you don't have this new life, it counts for nothing. 
it does not in any way give you any favor with God. And Jesus basically says to Nicodemus and us, you keep thinking that I've come to teach you or to be a helper or a good example. But you're wrong. I have mainly come to save you. And in order to save you, give you this new, whole new life. How important, next question, how important is it to be born again? And I get that, that phrase, born again, maybe not exactly what you had in your mind. Sometimes people use that to say, wow, people who are just, you know, super holy rollers or are super uh, structured in their life. But being born again will change the priorities in your life. For example, when you're just doing your regular routine in life and without God in your life, becoming a believer, being born again, it, it will change that. Because you have different priorities and you'll have different motives. There's a story that I want to share with you from, from Scott England that illustrates that. I started working for a ball in 1984, and in 99 I had the opportunity to purchase the business. When I became the owner, uh, I was working 60 to 70 hours a week, seven days a week most of the time, and I really didn't feel like I had time to go to church. Uh, I didn't have time for my, my kids or my wife. My life was more about you know, the bigger house, the nicer cars, the almighty dollar. Looking back now, I realize that I was pretty cold-hearted. I really didn't care for my employees' needs or my family's needs. In November of 2013, uh, my wife and I were having marital I didn't think I needed any help. I thought, you know, I could take care of all the problems myself. We had been invited several times by Chris and Cheryl Englehart to go check out Grace Community Church, and my wife had wanted to go. I finally gave in and, and went and checked out Grace Community Church. Well, that Sunday was a real eye-opener. Um, Pastor Kevin was, was speaking about uh, how, you know, if you gave your life to Christ and you followed God, things in your life could change. Um, I really felt like God was speaking directly to my heart that day and telling me to come to Him. So in February 2014, I accepted Christ. As we reprioritized our lives, we realized that we wanted our kids to grow up around people who truly love them and truly love God. We realized that um, we needed to serve God by serving other people. It is a struggle to run a business. Uh, there's the time commitment, there's the work, hard work, the pressure, the stress, but God has blessed us with the people to help run our business um, so we can use our business as a ministry, um, sharing scripture with people, planting the seeds and allowing God to water and harvest them. 
bottom line is, since coming to Christ, uh, we are blessed beyond belief. Our marriage is better than ever. Our children are learning to love God, and they have great examples to look up to. That's only because we've lived life these last three years the way God wants us to live it. Prioritizing time, it's a real struggle, but it's a struggle that's worth fighting for. We want to live our lives God's way. Did you catch that? Scott saying he's kind of immersed in, in work and just family stuff and, and the American dream and accumulating, you know, better house, cars, that stuff. Then life starts unraveling in another area a little bit. God uses that struggle in his life to change his life from the inside out. So how important is this being born again? Well, Jesus says it's a must. Cannot see the kingdom, cannot go to heaven, cannot have a relationship with God without this new life. It's everything when it comes to connecting with God. Jesus said, actually said it a couple times in this passage alone. Remember in verse 3, Jesus answered him and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then verse 7, don't be amazed that I say to you, you must be born again. And the question is, if, if it's that important, then how do we make that happen? Third, last question, how do, how do we get it? And Jesus answered this all through here, but specifically in verses 15 and 16, a few verses later, here's what he says. So that whoever believes will in him, meaning Christ, have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. The only way we get the new life, it's not by filling up our bag. It's not by doing things that, that we know God likes like following his commands. It's simply through belief. It's coming to an understanding that, that God has created us all and given us life, you know, at, at this high level in the image of God. But then because we are self-aware and he's given us the ability to think, we realize that, that we've all done wrong. We, we have something inside of us that produces guilt when we do things that violate our conscience. That's really the seed that God has planted in there. Although you can't trust that, it's a little messed up, but, but it's there. And then God comes and he reveals to us right and wrong. He does it through his law and the Ten Commandments, he, he teaches us what's right and wrong. And the problem is, as if we spend any time thinking about that, is we realize none of us can keep the law. None of us could do what God tells us we're supposed to do all the time. And because of that, and because God is just, there's punishment for that. Has to be, for God to be just, wrongdoing has to be punished. And because our wrongs are ultimately against our creator who gave us life, 
and as a result, our wrongs happen because we don't want God a part of our life. When we die, that's what we get, separation from God, what we wanted our whole life. As we filled our bag with a few things and never let him change our lives through faith. But God loves us even while we're enemies of his, even when we're in rebellion to him. And so he creates a way, he makes a way by sending his one and only son who exists eternally with God in three persons, one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The son comes to earth, clothes himself in humanity, lives out a perfect life with no sin, and ultimately voluntarily allows himself to be bled out, crucified, tortured to death on the cross of Calvary in order to pay for our sins. But the way we make it paying for our sins rather than everybody's sins, the offer is to all, but we have to respond to God on His terms in His way. And that is through belief or faith, or that is when we realize we acknowledge our sinfulness and we trust in Christ and Christ alone for our salvation. And that's only sincere when we have the intention of wanting to follow Him in our life. And that's what it means to be a Christian. And that's what it means to be born again. Paul says it another way in Ephesians 2. If you just listen through this about this new life, Ephesians 2, beginning verse 1, he says, and you were, and he's writing to a church, and he says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too, all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. We were all under God's judgment and wrath, he's saying. And continuing in verse 4, it says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, it means our sins, made us alive together with Christ by grace. You have been saved. And then a few verses later in verse 8 and 9 he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. That's how we're born again. Simply through faith. And the question is, have you made this step? Today we're, we're praying that over a hundred men, as maybe I mentioned that before, and there were many more than that. Maybe our prayer, my prayers are not big enough. We're praying over a hundred non-church men will come to church in our third hour. We invited them back. And we're actually going to draw 
is that in that service, for a few of the door prizes that we were giving out last night, just as an incentive for them to come. And we want them to hear this message of salvation, but, but it's not lost on me that even in a service like this, this first hour, the people who got it squared away, and they get up early, and they come to church. It's not lost on us that we could be very moral and very churchy and start relying on that for our salvation rather than Jesus. If you've never come to Christ in faith, realizing that it's only him and we're bringing nothing's in our grocery bag, nothing counts for us, it's all zero. Nothing counts for anything regarding our morality and our salvation. If it's not all just desperately needing Christ, we're missing that new life, life on a higher level that we can only experience in Him. So I'd like to close, I'd like to bow our heads, and uh, I'm going to close in prayer in just a moment, but again, it's first service, but uh, I'd just like to give you an opportunity to respond and, and really just to challenge you, because I think sometimes we can intellectually know something and and sort of just keep thinking about it, thinking about it. In the meantime, God has not, he's not promised us another day, another hour. So if you feel like God is drawing you to him, don't ignore that. Respond to him in faith. And, and the way you can do that is just cry out to him is, is the way Paul says to do it in Romans 10. That's crying out to him acknowledging our sin and trusting in Christ alone. What he did on the cross is enough to pay for all of our sins, past, present, future. And knowing that the Spirit will come into our hearts, our lives, and renew us. So if you're not sure you've ever done that, I invite you to, to make this prayer your prayer. Only you and God know if you're sincere. But just this simple salvation prayer. Father God in heaven, I admit, I know that I'm, I've sinned against you and others. And because of that, I, I should be punished. And because it's against you, that punishment should be huge. And it's actually separation from you forever. But God, I also understand that you love me more than I can ever real, realize. And I don't deserve it. And God, I'm asking you for forgiveness based on what Jesus Christ has done and accomplished for me on the cross of Calvary 2,000 years ago. And Father, I invite your spirit to come into my life and change me from the inside out. God, thanks for loving me. Even when you didn't have to, even though I don't deserve it. And sacrificing for me. In Christ's name. Amen. With our heads still bowed, I'll close in just a second. If you prayed that prayer, we'd like to know that. And again, if you're new here, please know I don't want to embarrass you. If you've been here a while, you know I don't want to do that. If you just lift up your hand, though, and, and kind of make eye contact with me, 
I just want to promise you that we'll pray for you as you get started in this new life for Christ. Anyone pray that prayer, as far as you know, for the first time sincerely. If you just lift your hand up, kind of let me see you as I look across the auditorium, make eye contact with me. Everybody else's heads are bowed. Just put it up there where I can see you. Thank you. Anyone else? Just put it up where I can see you. All right, let's stand together. Father, we thank you for the day, and Lord, thank you for the weekend, and Father, we pray that that through all the work that we did to make yesterday happen, and and Tim, uh, Pastor Tim taking the lead on that, and just all the stuff, all the volunteers and man hours that went in uh, with guys like Ed and and Tim Soul, and just, just a bunch of stuff had to happen. Lord, we pray that it has an eternal benefit, eternal consequence. Lord, that as a result of all that effort, men would come to know you. And that's what we're praying for, Lord. And Father, we thank you today that at least one person here raised her hand to say, I prayed that prayer. And Father, we pray that you change your life. And Lord, that, that she would want to be a part of us as we all try to grow closer and closer to you by looking at your word. God, thanks for the day. Thanks for this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed. Don't miss next Sunday. It is...